From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning. Focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour. This indeed is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we're rejoicing right now because on the other end of the line is Father Michael Kiernan. Father, good day to you. Good day to you, Bob, and to all your listeners, and hope you're having a blessed, uh, beautiful day in, in the Lord. It is a beautiful day. It Every day is a beautiful day. Yes. <laughs> Do I sound God, too optimistic? Yeah. A gift from God, yeah. <laughs> but they, they, they are. You know, I, I, I tell my kids that every day. I say, you know, if you get up and you look in the mirror and you're still here, there's a reason. You know, and, and it's it's probably a good reason because the Lord has kept you here. Mm-hmm. And you're here for a good purpose. You have things to do. And uh, God wants you to do do certain things for Him and the good of society. So, yes, indeed, every day is a gift. Father, you have a 50th anniversary coming up. I do. I believe you're going to be 50 years old. Is that correct? Yeah, 50 years old, yeah. It's a 50th <laughs> birthday party, not an anniversary. <laughs> well, actually, it is an anniversary now that you mention it, and now that I think about it, yeah. Yeah, 50 years, God willing, uh, coming up soon on the uh, uh, anniversary of uh, ordination. And, uh, of course, it's uh, uh, going to be the day after the ordination of priests here at the cathedral. So yes. we'll be doing ordinations on June uh, 3, on Saturday, and then... I'll be, um, uh, God willing, uh, celebrating on June 4, uh, 50 years in ministry, yeah. So was the priesthood just always in your future? When, 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 when did that? Uh, we, we did talk to uh, Deacon Eric uh, about, about his vocation and how it came about, the, the uh, man who will be ordained on June 3rd. Mm-hmm. Was was that something that? How did that come about? Well, you know, we have a saying that God builds on nature, and I've been a big believer in that. You know, that certain things happen. One could call them coincidence, but one could also call them God's providence. And so, uh, I don't have any big uh, fancy story about being uh, called by God in the sense of God. Uh, like St. Paul, you know, being knocked off his horse. Yeah, you weren't knocked off a horse. No, no. Um, and uh, some priests have great revelations, as it were, and things happen to them, you know, they really stuck out. But I guess I would say that, um, you know, I grew up in an environment where a priesthood was very esteemed, and my parents were good, wholesome people in my family, and church was sort of in the air we breathed. And then I went to a good school where there was nice people and then went on to what was called the Latin school uh, as opposed to a technical school. My brother went to a technical school, uh-huh. which was mostly for industrial stuff and so on. But the fact that I went to the Latin school, um, I thought it was, again, maybe God pointing me in that direction. And then I had four years there with a number of priests on the staff and so on. And we had retreat days and one thing or another. And, of course, we had lots of encouragement to uh, become priest and so on. So from that point of view, um, uh, you know, it's been pointed um, in a certain direction. And then when it came to the end of um, high school, um, somehow it just seemed that this was a, a logical thing to do. So my cousin and I, who were the same age and same class and all that, decided to go to the same seminary and... Uh, because he remained a priest in Ireland and uh, has been there now. For, he'll be celebrating his 50th also. But um, it's just like um, one thing um, leads to another. I would put it a little bit, you know, like probably your own situation with marriage. You know, you, you know, you feel a good family and you'd like to have a family like your parents and so on and so on. And you're sort of looking for the right girl and then the right girl comes along and then one thing leads to another and you decide, you know, that let's... Um, have a shot at this uh, marrying, and uh, God is working with you by giving you the intention of marriage, first of all, and then the uh, the 
actual person showing up and a courtship and so on. So it's the same with that. Uh, no big uh, bells and whistles, uh, but um, steady progression. And I would say that it was also true that I, I never had any real doubts about it. And that I, uh, uh, once I made the decision and went to the president of the high school, uh, I was a, a senior at the time, and he said, "Well, I'll help you uh, write a letter to the." Uh, authorities um, in the seminary in St. John's College, Waterford, and they'll take it from there. And so I did, and then you uh, have to get certain uh, papers filled in and so on and so on, submit them to the seminary, and they tell you the day you're supposed to report. And so my first day was there, uh, and uh, really fell at home. We had a good education there. We had good sports. We had good friends, and I still have some of the fellows that were there um, were my friends, and um, I was down, uh, Bishop Wigan and I were down the other day, as was Bishop Soto, for the um, funeral for um, beloved Bishop P.J. McGraw right. down in San Jose. In San Jose. So funeral right. on Friday. And so he was three years ahead of me in the, um, uh, in the seminary, and Great example, wonderful uh, character, wonderful personality, and uh, he was always known by his favorite saying, listen to me. <laughs> listen to me. And so that was distinctive of PJ. He would have words of wisdom for uh, any situation, and uh, I think that stood him well as a bishop. Uh, he would tell people, you know, uh, after a discussion of something and so on, so on, but, Listen to me. Let me tell you this. And so, uh, anyway, those those were happy days. And uh, his classmate, Father Dan Welton, senior Dan Welton now, uh, was there. And I was surprised to see Dan looking pretty much as I remembered him from all those years ago. <laughs> and uh, so that was a nice occasion to have a beautiful mass with uh, uh, with uh, many, many people in San Jose the other day for a classmate of mine in the seminary, yeah. So... D- were you were you uh, you know button heads with yourself? I, I could have been a professional hurler. I could have been whatever. Uh, I could have gone into. Did you have those those battles with yourself or not? No, I really didn't have. I I think the two areas that I thought about, uh, well, three areas really. I thought of going into teaching, uh, and then I thought about. Um, which I think I would have been very good at, actually, and uh, would have been comfortable for me. I tend to do teaching in a way in my talks and homilies. Sure. And then the other thing I thought about was being, you know, I grew up um, on a farm and knew all the animals and all that and very close to the land. And I thought about staying on my, I think I would have inherited my uh, father's uh, farm there and all that. But I also thought about going further and... Uh, Going to uh, college for uh, to be an agricultural per- instructor and all uh-huh. of that, mm-hmm. and uh, so those were fleeting around in my brain as I came to the end of high school and during the summer of uh, decision making. But so once I went to the seminary, they never came back, and uh, never occurred to me to uh, do anything else. Uh, only this again, it wasn't uh, uh, you know bells and whistles. But it was just that um, it seemed comfortable, right, and um, once I then got uh, into seminary and one year led to another, and um, I never remember having any great decisions to make, or should I, you know, you get ordained a deacon a year before you're ordained a priest, and in a sense the diaconate decision is when you make the vow of celibacy and so on, and uh-huh. then... Uh, that's sort of a pivotal time. I never remember having any great angst about um, should I go, should I not, should I this, should I that. Um, so it was a great time. I, I went to England every summer because uh, we basically had to pay our way in the seminary. Uh, the diocese here would have paid the seminary, St. John's College, a certain amount. I don't know what that was or how that worked, but uh, that's sort of the offset many of the expenses, but we had um, 
many excuse me we had many expenses ourselves and the personal expenses and your own clothes and your this and that so i went to england to work um, on the buildings uh, construction building uh, for eight or ten weeks um, hmm. in uh, <clears throat> every summer as a construction a worker yeah construction workers are even to this day like um i recently moved from the cathedral to back to our lady of assumption parish because as you know the cathedral rectory is no longer um, allowed for a living uh, with some concerns about the structure. So right. anyway, we were directed to get out of there, and so I uh, I like to move all my own stuff, which isn't that much anyway, but some things were a little bit heavy, but I enjoyed moving them and putting them in my car and taking them out <laughs> and putting them in their place where they go now. So thank God my arms and chest and so on and shoulders are still able to do a bit of that, even though I'm old now, but... Uh, so that was a good experience, both in that sense and also uh, in regard to just um, maybe experience of human life on the construction world. You know, there was a lot of guys there, and and uh, you know, we socialized and we went to bars at night and those other things that people do on weekends and so on. And uh, met a lot of fellas, um, rough and tough for sure, uh, and uh, lots of problems and fights and so on in the bars and so on. <laughs> I remember that time uh, well, uh, and I would sometimes just sit there and look at the whole world go by and think to myself, you know, plus all this. So that was in itself um, a very good, um, helpful experience for me in real life and uh-huh. uh, seeing the reality of uh, the way people live. So if Shelley and I want to remodel a bathroom or something, we should call you? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I'm reasonably priced, you know, okay, maybe good. $500 an hour or something like that, you know. <laughs> so it wouldn't be, wouldn't be a big problem with that, yeah. Now, for you, it might be, since you're a wealthy man, it might be a little bit higher. But, yeah. Uh, but being a good friend of yours, on the other hand, might count, too, so he might come back down. So we're, we're about something, yeah. We're about something. So, but and now, if I didn't do it for you, I would do it for your wife, yeah. Oh, sure. Person, yeah. Yes. So... so <laughs> But now in seminary, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to do that in summer, right? I don't think so. I think nowadays they have uh, pretty well, uh, almost from the very beginning, they have programs for them at the pastoral level and mm-hmm. so on. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we just went home and you get out of there in early June and get back. I think it was around Labor Day. So almost and, like like just a regular college, you just you were out for the summer. Yeah, and yeah. to do what you want to do, and uh, whatever you do it yourself. You know, you go to Mass, you don't go to Mass uh, every day, or nobody's going to Mass every day in the seminary, but in the urban life that I was, it wasn't possible to go every day. Though I I lived in Birmingham, my place where I worked was Birmingham, England, mm-hmm. the very center of England there, and uh, there was a beautiful church called the English Martyrs Church, and uh, would go there most of the time they had an evening mass. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and so I got a chance to go to work and then go to the evening mass and, and meet a lot of wonderful people who in some ways are part of my life still today. So was seminary itself, was it, was it a joy? Was it a grind? Was it, what, describe being in seminary. Well, you know, any type of education or college or whatever it is, some days are better than others. And, some professors and teachers are less boring than others, but <laughs> more boring. And some subjects are more interesting than others, like canon law, you know, the whole law of the church and the rules and regulations. Well, uh, you could sort of live without that if you could, but it uh, uh, had to be done, had to be studied. And then um, I enjoyed the philosophy and psychology classes we had, and then, of course, we... We had uh, basically the first two years of seminary for us was uh, uh, studying philosophy and very little to do with real theological discussions. Um, and then the last four years, or six-year term, uh, last four were uh, theological discussion. Uh, so the first two were called um, years of philosophy and the others were called years of divinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in those last four years, we had all the different things about dogmatic theology, you know, the teaching of the Church, and moral theology, you know, the uh, reasons of what we do, what's right and wrong. 
and um, as a canon law, history of the church, of course, and uh, all the different things about the sacraments and uh, um, what we believe as Catholics and uh, our call to be uh, a priest. I remember the uh, president of the seminary there one day telling us, uh, now he said, you'll be going far away places in the United States and other parts of the world. And he said, you'll meet all sorts of people, and you'll have all sorts of experiences. But he said, if you come back to Ireland on your visit, and the people say, you think he never left. Hmm. He said, you will have done well. Oh, wow. don't, don't come back with airs and graces or something uh-huh. like that, you know, that you're somebody important or that you're better than them because you are now a pastor of, a huge church in New York or Los Angeles or some of that, or you're a month senior or whatever it might be. He said, try to just uh, experience all that. And he said, you need to do that. And he could step up to those levels. But he said, uh, when you're, always remember where you came from and who you are. Very well said. So was six years, was that daunting? Was that easy? Was Well, it... again, like I was 18 at the time or less, and I was... Actually, I was 23 and a half when it was ordained, so I must have been 17 and a half when I went in there. And, again, like, no, there was, uh, you know, we had good times and uh, good friends, and, you know, the, the food wasn't that great, but, uh, you know, the, the buildings were comfortable enough, and, uh, as I say, the, the classes uh, were somewhat uh, challenging and uh, fulfilling, and uh, uh, there was just, that was the way it was, and, and uh, of course, time flies anyway when you're having fun, so right. I never had any problem with it. You know, you would look forward, of course, to saying, oh, two more years, I'm ordained, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. But, um, no, I, I uh, wouldn't say that uh, that was a big problem uh, in the seminary. And to say some of the fellows that were there... Uh, Monsignor Brennan, a good friend of mine back in New Jersey now, we talk all the time, and uh, Father Prendergast down in uh, Florida. And then we have two or three fellows from the seminary, Father Mossy O'Brien, Father Liam McCarthy, mm-hmm. recently deceased, Father Tom McGuire, uh, here in the Sacramento, um, and uh, Father Liam McAllister, he was one of ours, Father Aidan Riley. And so we've had several who uh, were... And um, I kept a connection with them. And, of course, PJ, Bishop PJ and I, mm-hmm. oh, we'd get together every other year or whatever for lunch or dinner. Uh, some of us stayed at his house down in San Jose. And uh, so good relationships there. And I have best feelings for St. John's Waterford. was very close to the Waterford last uh, place. And it was about close to the beach, actually, about two miles. So we would have our days off. So we would go to the beach three or four times a year uh-huh. and days out. And um, they tried to uh, have a sort of a balance. Uh, uh, and we played a lot of sports. I played a lot of basketball, uh, Irish football, uh, and uh, soccer and so on. So, uh, uh, yeah, just... And then, of course, like everything else in life, you know, you have the... Routine of the year, you know, you go back after Labor Day and no time until it's Thanksgiving, and then which they had actually Halloween, which was a little bit different, but there was a big break like here, and then Christmas and Easter and around the world, around the year goes, and suddenly it's Ordination Day, June 3, uh, 1973, uh, uh, in the Holy Trinity Cathedral in Waterford City. Wow. So, and that include a, a, a one year as in the diaconate, the transitional diaconate? One year in the diaconate, and I actually did. Now, for the summer of that year, I didn't work um, on the construction. I actually did my diaconate experience in uh, London, uh, in Chelsea. Uh-huh. And um, the uh, with the um, with an order... Uh, uh, a priest, and um, that was a good experience. Uh, just getting around London was in itself both a enrichment and a challenge. Uh, 
it's a huge city and it was complicated to get around. But I remember those days in Chelsea and Fulham and Shepherd's Bush and various other places. Uh, that was a good summer, yeah. Well, well your, your date in 1973 and mine uh, when I finished my college studies are identical. Mm. <laughs> I guess we were bound to meet. Wow, and we have met, and it's been a joy and pleasure, and so on, and so on, and uh, uh, that's a long time to be somewhere <laughs> connected. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, yeah, when you you rattle off that date, I I got chills. I went, wait a minute, I know that date because wow. that, that was one of those dates that get fi- fixed in your mind, you know, as you're anticipating yes. it. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, what uh, of the people that started a seminary with you? What what percent become priests? Most all or well, at that particular time, funnily enough, there are too many uh-huh. seminarians, and so I remember the uh, dean of the seminary. He said, "You know, there's too many here. We have to thin it out." Mm-hmm. So he said, 16, 16, that's um, 32, he said, uh, well, that's, that's going to have to be cut in half. So he said, we'll find an excuse to get rid of 16 of you. Wow. And um, somewhere or another, he said, we'll get gone. We'll be gone. And so, um, so they turned out that, but all that wanted to stay, or all that will let's stay, uh, pretty much. Oh, once in a while, I remember we'd have sort of always sort of like a secret thing, mm-hmm. and so John Doe. You know, we all had our assigned seat in the seminary in that chapel, and so tomorrow morning you wake up and John Doe is not in his seat, and why do you wonder he's sick or some of that, or you know, just late or whatever something came up, but then during the day you hear that. He left he left last night. Hmm. And so you just if you if it wasn't your bag, if you weren't gonna continue. I don't know what the procedure was for leaving. I assume he would have left communicated with somebody and said, I'm mm-hmm. this is done for me at this point. So sometimes we had fellows who left and then came back. Right. Uh, and or sometimes they went to another seminary because it suited them better or Maybe having left one place, they didn't want to go back again and go into the same thing, and they went to another place. But we've had a couple like that. Our, our fellows, it took a little bit longer to figure out. But most of the time, the fellows who went through, uh, who were there, went through. And then, of course, once in a while since then, we've had uh, men who were ordained who have not continued in the ministry and are not priests anymore. There was one... Uh, all my classmates who uh, left the priesthood to get married and very, very fine fellow and still have a little bit of contact with him, but not too much. And then there was another very, very close friend of mine, actually, who uh, died fairly young uh, mm. as a priest. Uh, uh, so uh, Tommy was in uh, uh, Westminster in uh, London, that uh-huh. there. And so, but the rest are all soldiering on, and of course, Getting up in years now, and most of them retired. So we used to, I mean, I've said many times that growing up in the Diocese of Sacramento, the term Irish priest was redundant because everybody was an Irish priest. Uh, I know in my own parish we had Father Dagnan when I was a little boy, and then we had Monsignor Coffee for years and years and years. Uh, but uh, both had gone to seminary in, in, in Ireland. I'm sure. Uh, but now we don't hear, um, uh, I mean, what has happened? Why Why is that not the case anymore? Well, of course, all of Europe, yeah, and much indeed even the United States, you know, have undergone to make big changes in regard to religion and understanding of God and so on, and commitment and uh, numbers are down with priests and sisters and everything, uh, uh, in uh, the last 50 years. But um, in Ireland, it, it's a sad story for sure. Um, I mean, the uh, numbers of 
really in the tank and there's a number, great number of African priests, Filipino priests, Polish priests, and now I'm sure there are a few uh, Ukrainian priests because of the people. People often bring their priests with them, or their bishop over in those countries will send a priest to take care of the people. There's a lot of Polish people in Ireland. A lot of, well, also the people in Ireland from every, you know, with Europe being an open border. Right. Uh, so, so that's one thing in African priests and um, but the number of vocations gallon in a given year is nothing really wow the, the, that come from the, from Ireland itself so yeah, that they produce their own vocation mm-hmm. I think part of it is um, you know the church in many ways was a cultural thing and you know, anti-British and all that sort of stuff, and right. all that has sort of uh, gone away. And then, of course, the, it's one of the wealthiest countries in the world now, and so whereas it's very poor, and, it, and so a variety of things, no one that you could put your finger on. The, the scandals in the church hit were very hard on the church in Ireland, right? because it's a small country, and one of the things I always find when I go back there is, you know, you, you feel even though some counties are maybe 200 miles away, but it still seems like, well, it's actually the whole country is not as big as the Diocese of Sacramento. Right, right. So just as, you know, I as a priest would feel a great kinship with tourists or Susanville or Vallejo or Reading. So in the same way in Ireland, you know, if something happens in county far away, it's still not that far away. And so, again, people were in a very difficult situation with that. Um, it was it was particularly hard there because you could have a situation where a person was a victim and then the, the perpetrator, but they could be connected with each other. And so you might be either kin with both of them, right, or at least know both of them very well. And now you're in a total bind because you don't want to do it yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you're sort of standing up for one, you're opposing the other. And so there was a lot of, uh, you know, interconnectedness there. And so I think in that sense, and then the faith was so strong. that, But that was the only thing I would say it was also, you know, the it just change of the world. And, uh, you know, I think one thing that people don't understand uh, very well is that, um, uh there was an excellent talk given about a month ago there or more at the, uh, the Holocaust uh, Remembrance right. event, which is always at uh, in Israel. And uh, the sisters, a Catholic sister who gave it, and uh, Sister Mercy, actually, from back east, and she talked about how the underpinning for the Holocaust was powerful in the sense that, you know, the, the whole understanding of, anti-Semitism and people's attitude to Jewish people, you know, was was enormously bad. And right. so therefore, when all this stuff started happening, it sort of, nobody said anything, but, oh, you know, maybe it's not that bad and so on, that type of attitude. And, and Hitler himself was able to, you know, build upon all these things and so on. So with the result, and this I think was part of the whole thing of, Vatican II and the challenges we face in society today with religion is that people said, how could such a thing happen in the heart of Christendom? Mm-hmm. It didn't happen in you know, China or it didn't happen in even Russia. It happened in the very center of you know, the Christian world where Germany, between Catholics and Protestants, is about as Catholic as about as Christian as you could get. Sure. But still this thing not only took off but flourished. And um, so, so all of those then raise questions about, you know, John Paul Sartre and the death of God and where was God in all this? And if this is God, well, then what are we to do? And how could God let this happen? And all these questions. So a lot of uh, doubt, but of course, as I say, in Ireland also, uh, wealth and prosperity, you know, uh, uh, who needs God when you have all this prosperity and Everything is hunky-dory, and 
I got the fancy car with the fancy house and everything I need here. Uh, I don't need no religion or nothing like that. So mm -hmm. all of those types of things uh, were at play in uh, in a variety of ways to uh, pull it down, yeah. Wow. Now it has to be built all up again. And, of course, that's the great secret of the church is that, you know, uh, uh, the uh, faith, actually, in the mid in the in Europe, uh, in the 6th and 7th century, was basically wiped out. But the Irish monks and many others went there and rebuilt it. So mm -hmm. um, now we see signs of that in some ways in different countries, you know, where uh, there's a renewal. And some would say there's just, like Bishop Soto was just saying to me the other day, that he was reading about small little tiny shoots of renewal in the Irish church. And, um, but you know, they, they have, uh, some ways the crazy, uh, because, uh, one of the things that they do over there is just totally go crazy with first communions and confirmation. Uh -huh. So if your child was getting first communion, she is going to get the fanciest dress that a child ever wore in her life. And she's going to get all sorts of things. And she's going to have a limousine to take her to church. <laughs> and all the friends and family and neighbors will be obligated to give her enormous amount of money. Uh -huh. So you should at least give her $100, right. $500. Come on, Bob, you can give her $1,000. Wow. Do it upright. And then her family will take her to a fancy hotel in, the, again, this limousine. And the whole thing could cost two or $3,000 for this child. And the same for confirmation. The, the church there is beside itself with trying to stop it. Mm -hmm. The bishops and the priests are saying, first of all, you don't go to church much at all. You're not involved in the church. But this is, but I'll tell you, it's very hard. The parents put up a fierce fight and say, don't tell me what to do with my child. And right. I want to make a fuss over my child. Am I not right to do it? I could do that for, I can spend my money any way I want, and I better take it. Well, churches say, no, that's not a good example for your child. And so I said, so anyway, there's many things there, and uh, challenges of church and um, so on. And, you know, I know even a bishop uh, years ago, from back there, when his brother died back there, there was no services for his brother. <laughs> the brother didn't want any services, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Here's a brother, a bishop. And the bishop, of course, wanted to go back and was back and to be there for the family and with his brother when he died. So there's all sorts of bits and pieces to it, and uh, uh, we just have to keep praying. I'm going to be back there later on this June, and so I'm anxious to see how it's going. Uh, the media doesn't help either by, you know, highlighting the great challenges of the church and the weaknesses and the mm -hmm. abuse and all these other issues. So it's a many-sided thing, Bob, but uh, uh, it's deeply rooted in the culture of the people, and you hope that one of these years people begin to see maybe there was something to that stuff yeah. after all. <laughs> so when we you, pray. did you always know in seminary that you'd be coming to the United States? Yes. Uh, when you go there, you have a year to uh, get your act together and they work with you to see. And basically you have a choice. You can go where you like. Uh, they really don't care. Um, uh, I could have gone to Miami or New York or Los Angeles or Canada or any place in Britain. Uh, so I know we had one priest who went to uh, uh, Ecuador, and of course he wouldn't have to have learned the language and all that. Uh, you could go to Australia. You could go any place. Obviously, there was English speaking, but you could even go uh, to a non-English speaking country if you were prepared to go and, and spend some time learning the language. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so, but somehow, again. 
I can't say bells and whistles or jumping up and down, or, but somehow Sacramento came to my mind. There was a couple of priests from the local area that were here, and maybe that's what put it in mind for me. But um, I, um, I never spent much time with them, actually, even after I got here. But uh, again, it might have been God's way of just uh, pointing me in the direction, you know. It's like uh, you go to some party and lo and behold, there's the girl you're going to marry. But if you hadn't gone to the party, you wouldn't have known. So the party just put you in touch with her. And so I think that was the way it was. That was the most explicit I can say is that knowing these priests sort of, sort of well, you know, it was good enough for them. And, they're local guys here, and I see them come home on vacation and seem to be doing okay. It seems like that Sacramento diocese would be a good place to go. I did think seriously about going to Florida, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought about going to England as well. But uh, to tell you the truth, I think I wanted to get away from the Irish, and then I wanted to do something different. Uh, if I had gone to New York or even San Francisco or... Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. You just be... Ireland away from home. It, exactly. I'm trying to give it a big shot. I'm just a different cut, yeah. I can't imagine a young man in, in Ireland in the 1970s would even have heard of Sacramento. Well, for Clark from these priests who say that they would come home and they would be saying, you know, that I'm Father Joe and I'm home from Sacramento Diocese. And, and they would tell some of what they did, you know, and they'd talk a little bit to the people and tell them about the climate and other people, you know, and the makeup of the diocese. And so I got a little bit of, of that just by listening to them uh, preach at Mass when they were home. Did you, did you realize that the Sacramento, in addition to being the capital of the state of California, also had towns like Alturas and Wairica and towns way, way, way away from the capital? Well, we used to get the Catholic Herald who was sent to us. Of course, oftentimes it would come by slow mail, but it would be a month or two afterwards. Yeah. But I read through that, and you'd see, you know, the pictures, and you'd see lists of them. But no, as regards the actual makeup, and when I came here first and was assigned, my first assignment was St. Joseph's in Reading. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, Bishop Bell, I guess he just felt he had to asked a question to be a nice guy. <laughs> but he said, Father, do you have any particular preference of where you'd like to minister? And I, this is my first evening with him. I stayed there. I had dinner with him my first night in town, and I was fortunate to stay there with him for a couple of days at his home out in uh, Carmichael, as it was then. But anyway, he uh, asked me that, and I said, I looked at him sort of, think to myself, well, that's not a very sensible question. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't say that. But anyway, I said, well, tell you the truth, Bishop, I don't know even where I am. <laughs> I don't know where I might go. Uh, I mean, I know that I came at the airport, and Monsignor Higgins picked me up and drove me out here to your house. And I don't know whether I went north, south, east, or west <laughs> from the airport, but I made it here, and Monsignor Higgins is with me. And so I said, what would it matter to me one way or the other? So he sent me to uh, Reading, yeah. I'm imagining that that, I'm not sure of the dates, but uh, 1973, was that still the airport down on Freeport, the old, uh, or was did, did we have SAC International at that point? I think we had SAC, yeah, but it was did very we? small, yeah. I know the first time I ever flew, I was 18, and, and it was still the one down, I guess it's mm-hmm. on Freeport. yeah. Yeah. Executive airport. Yeah. Executive airport. Yeah. 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 And that was that's where the planes landed. Wow. So, <laughs> so, Reading, and it was what July. July, and I remember Monsignor O'Connor took me over to visit, uh, give me a tour of the Mercy Hospital there, the big Mercy Hospital. Mm-hmm. And as we were going in, unfortunately, uh, Father Bill Canane, beautiful man, still alive. By the way, he's in his 90s now, I think. But anyway, he was coming out, and those two boys knew each other well. And so they stood there in a lovely, as they considered it, a nice Reading uh, July day, and uh, <laughs> chatted. 
and chatted and chatted <laughs> and everything about sports and everything that you could think of. And I was wearing a very heavy Irish suit, black and everything, <laughs> and I'm just dying in all the heat and so And you can't just say on your first day, well, oh, I, I want to get in out of the heat. Oh, I, yeah. I, you can't pretend the Monsignor what to do. So I endured it, and eventually we got into the, the building itself, and so that was one of my uh, enduring experiences of uh, my first time in Reading. And then wow. Monsignor took me around to show me all the different places and Shasta Lake and uh, up into the uh, Lake Shastina and Mount Shasta and all that. Mm -hmm. So Bernie Falls and beautiful places there. Had you ever seen a I mountain like, uh, like, like Mount Shasta before? Oh, no, nothing even remotely close yeah. to that. Or, yeah. Um, or anything big like that. No, no, Mount Shasta Lake, you know, is right. this unbelievable thing. And uh, so that was um, listening to, if you ever go by there, Shasta Lake, you can listen to the speech that President Kennedy gave. Right. On his, when he opened it in October of 63. So uh, remember doing that and, was that Wonderful was that people. was that is that Shasta Lake or Whiskey Town? Well, Whiskey Town, sorry, yeah, yeah, Whiskey yeah. Town, yeah. So, um, beautiful people up there, and in fact, uh, many of them I still connect with. And uh, I remember one man there, in particular Dave Kehoe. He became a supervisor mm -hmm. for a long time and has been a supervisor. He's retired now, but he was a supervisor later. But in that time, him and I taught catechism to high school catechism and he was just a lovely man and uh, and um, we still talk once in a while there's still a few people there like well Dr. Dave Gaston passed away recently but his dear wife Kate is still around and Jolene Burke and they were at the beginning of Northern Valley Catholic Social Services which I was fortunate to be able to participate in and help found in 1986 Hmm. Some good memories of uh, of all that area. Yeah. Did you get up to Doc Cleary's on the hill? Oh, indeed, yes, yes, yes. A little nightcap there was very nice. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's that was always a yeah. times I'd go to Reading. That was one of the favorite places to go. Yeah, sit there at ten o'clock and look out over the city. Um, mm -hmm. What they call the Miracle Mile, and right, and then uh, all the lights and have a little highball, and it was a grand time. Yeah. Yeah, Reading has that. It has that hill, and then you can kind of descend down to the river, and yeah, yeah. And then that famous Dumbarton Bridge there. Or forget the name of exactly. I mean, that's not the name, but anyway, it's the it's a beautiful bridge that they built over the river there, and the, the Sundial Bridge. The Sundial Bridge. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so lovely, uh, lovely. Yeah, there's a lot of beauty to to Reading, and uh, yeah. Uh, then surrounding areas as well. And then, did you, you did you celebrate your first mass in Ireland, or was that until you got yes, to Sacramento? Yes, celebrate uh, first mass of course the next day. So, under June three was um, ordination, and then June four was first mass in the local in Patrick's Church where I was born and raised, and had my first communion and so on. So now I'm back for First Mass with all the good people that I knew and grown up with, um, uh, all sorts of people, uh, just neighbors, and uh, uh, that was a beautiful day. And both First Mass, both ordination and First Mass are almost like a wedding where you, uh, you know, you invite all your family and friends, and then you have a big reception after the ordination at a hotel, and then you have a big reception after the first mass at a hotel and everybody eats and drinks and there's speeches and all sorts of good humor and joy and uh, as I say it's just just like a wedding hmm. and then how how long did you did you get some time off before you came to the United States yes I did and I well I didn't take as long as I should have probably looking back on it now but I think I was about seven or eight weeks uh, from, so I came here in late July, and um, yeah, 
came to New York first and spent a week there uh, with family and friends, one senior Brennan, that priest I talked about, and, mm-hmm. and I had many cousins mm-hmm. on my father's side and mother's side, and we all had a good time there and uh, went to uh, <coughs> famous places there uh, that they took me to, you know, the... Uh, uh, great, great, the great visitor places. So it's a good time there, and and got on a plane from there, and way off to Sacramento, and there we are. <laughs> Let's get going. Time to work. And how long were you Been in running? I was in running for almost four years, and mm-hmm. then I went on to Mona County. After that, where I was there for a little over four years as well. So those are great experiences of. Uh, joy and good people and uh, uh, two very different experiences in the sense that sure. Reading is quite city and uh, Modoc was very rural and uh, in Reading we had a lot of staff and two or three priests but in Modoc I was there by myself and uh, no staff really only sort of you get to be chief cook and bottle washer. And this, this would be yeah. Alturas? Alturas, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you had you had missions in uh, Cedarville and Cedarville, yes. And then there was all those names of wonderful places like Eagleville and right, uh, and Dango Pass and Fort Bidwell. And what about Doris? Who did was there a, a mission in Doris? Doris was over. Uh, I was out at Tule Lake. Oh, it was out at Tule Lake. Okay. But I remember it well, and I often filled in there at Tule Lake and Doris once in a while. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Wow. Then up a few miles with Lakeview in Oregon. That was the next parish north, and that was in the diocese of uh, Baker, yeah. The, the, the diocese of Baker, yeah. I've, I've actually <laughs> spent time in Lakeview. Uh, mm. It's just a n- different part of the world. People people think of Oregon, and they think of trees and ocean and all that, and Lakeview's far from all that. And the same thing with, with Alturas. When people think of California, they, they don't. <laughs> realize Alturas could be uh, could be in Nevada, could be in southern Idaho, could be in southern Oregon, southeastern Oregon. You know, it's just uh, Modoc County is just a different place. Well, I remember when I went to do a marriage encounter thing down in Los Angeles, and you know they list where all the people are from, and people were coming to me as if I had come from the end of the earth. <laughs> Alturas? I never heard of that. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a Catholic church there, too. And it's an Irish, strong building. Mm-hmm. Totally, you know, stone building like an Irish church. So right, right. Sacred Heart. Outdoors. Sacred Heart, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and it, I'm, I'm, I've been through a few times recently. My guess is it's not a whole lot different than it was uh, 50 years ago. Well, they say it's where the West still lives. Yeah, and um, no, it hasn't changed. I mean, I think there's one blinking light there yeah. on the main road towards uh, as you go towards uh, up towards Lakeview, and so no, it, and it won't grow. I don't think it'll grow at all. Uh, the big industry up there was the national forest, right? And that is what it is, sort of. And but the idea of ever, you know, having a lot of industry or any of that. Uh, I mean, I think the whole population, uh, Mora County, might be. And twelve at the most. At the most, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and but a pretty darn good restaurant in Alturas. Oh yes, the Basque restaurant. And right. Good uh, um, people, you know, from uh, uh, the land of ba- Basque land, and Fernand sure. uh, and Josephine Laranaga were uh, the owners, and uh, now their sons Ferdinand uh, and uh, Rene run it. Mm-hmm. And so it's a beautiful place, and uh, you could give them anything in the world, but they will not tell you what their salad recipe is. <laughs> the salad dressing? The salad dressing, yeah. yeah. Hmm. That's the secret they have, yeah. It might be worth a trip up there. It might be, indeed, and maybe if you tell them that you're in the media business, they might, uh, yeah. you might have a little in with them, yeah. Yeah. Worth a trip. So- yeah, if you ever, you know, if you're ever taking a break um, with family and so on, I mean, beautiful, the Warner Mountains and uh, oh, yeah. oh, it's... all of that, you know, uh, 
It's really spectacular. I've a motel there in Cedarville, which is uh, uh, run by Susie Runyard. Susie is a sweet and lovely woman, and uh, her and Johnny, and uh, I, I like to visit them more often, but maybe in a year or two I will. So the, I love when I go up there, yeah. Yeah, the the Warner Mountains are, are beautiful, and just that the whole high desert, you know, the 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 smell the sagebrush and the juniper and all that. It's 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 pretty spectacular. Beautiful, beautiful country, yeah. And and people that have been there for generations, yeah. Well, you've uh, you've uh, <laughs> you've lived fifty full uh, years as a priest. Uh, so, are you calling this the first fifty? The first 50. The first 50. Actually, I'm calling it 50 years of journeying together, and my thought is to, uh, uh, you know, see it as all the people that I've journeyed with, yourself and many of your listeners and people, you know, from Modoc and Shasta and all these other places, and that the great blessing has been the wonderful people I've encountered and all the good things we've been able to do and and the joy and goodness and the love I've received and so on. So, yes, 50 years. In fact, uh, the bishop said to me the other day, you must have been 10 when you were ordained. <laughs> and I said, don't you go insulting me. I was only eight. <laughs> so anyway, we joked about that. But uh, thank God, 50 years, and we'll see what, uh, as much as we can in the next 50, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whatever God wants. Whatever God wants, God gets. Yes. Yeah. Well, Father, always always a joy to talk with you. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for taking so much time with us. And uh, uh, I just always look forward to our conversations. Yes. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, some gatherings. We have a gathering coming up, uh, several things at the cathedral and also at Our Lady of Assumption. So I'll be doing something up in Anderson as well. Up in Anderson, too. Yeah. Yeah. So you have all that information. But anyway, we'll have a nice celebration in Ireland as well, and maybe in July I can talk to you and tell you how it all went. Very good, very good. Great. Well, God's blessings, and uh, okay. we'll look forward to our paths crossing again real soon. Anytime, always a joy to be with you and your listeners, and God bless you all, yeah. Uh, thanks, Father. God bless. Okay. That's uh, Father Michael Kiernan uh, celebrating on June 3rd his 50th anniversary as a priest, and uh, speaking of anniversaries, uh, right about that time, uh, Bishop Wiegand will be celebrating his 60th anniversary as a priest. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening, everyone. God bless. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at the thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank 
the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and longstanding support of the Bishop's Hour. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the Mercy Foundation, enriching lives in the Sacramento region through Sisters of Mercy Ministries in health care, education, housing, and the care for the poor and elderly. For the Mercy Foundation, philanthropy is one of the most powerful expressions of compassion and love. Just as many people in our community need a hand, countless others are reaching out to them with comfort and hope. You can express your care and concern for the less fortunate with a gift to the Mercy Foundation. Uh, you can give them a call, 916-851-2700. That's 916-851-2700. And you can be confident that fully 100% of your contribution will support the Sisters of, ministry, of Mi Mercy Ministry or ministries that you choose. And what a wonderful treasure Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts has been for all of us here in the diocese as they uh, uh, transition uh, into uh, uh, new ownership and management. Uh, they continue to offer wonderful workshops, wonderful uh, uh, resources for the Catholic community throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Not only does Easter's provide a wide array of Catholic books, both current releases and longtime classics, but they also sponsor a number of valuable workshops and lectures throughout the year. They're, they're located at 6916 Sunrise Boulevard in Citrus Heights. Give them a call, 916-338-7272. We also receive a generous underwriting support by Crumley & Associates, a private wealth advisory practice, of Ameriprise Financial Services. If you have questions about retirement, Crumley & Associates can help you with their confident retirement approach that can help define a clear roadmap to get you where you want to go. You can uh, contact them, get all the details at Crumley & Associates, 7956 California Avenue in Fair Oaks. They're at 916-638-4600. That's 916-638-4600. Four six zero zero, and we uh, are, are certainly uh, appreciative of the uh, fine and uh, long-standing support of the Mercy Foundation, of Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts, and of Crumley and Associates. We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town. Uh, and throughout the Diocese of Sacramento, who have provided underwriting for the Bishop's Hour, uh, some in the last few years, some uh, have been with us for a very long time. If you would like to be an underwriter for the Bishop's Radio Hour, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to support this mission and also to support the diocese and also uh, to get some uh, recognition for uh, your organization or for your business. The easiest way to do this is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org. Inside of 